Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. MassMedia.net. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at AirlinesConfidential.com. He's the Grinch who stole your free check bags, carry on seat, seat assignments, snacks, drinks, and airport check in. It's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. <laughs> well, uh, sticking on the holiday TV themes then, uh, if you remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, there was this cute little elf named Hermie who wanted to become a dentist. But it turns out he didn't become a dentist. He became NPR's here and now transportation analyst, Seth Kaplan. Oh, <laughs> pushing back from the gate. This is Airlines Confidential. This is war. The show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. We're going to talk about an airline that heard thanks, but no thanks to its upgrades one too many times. We'll listen to a real customer complaint about airline food or the lack thereof. That's in our fine or wine segment. First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Delta is offering to no longer upgrade customers automatically into its Comfort Plus section. Hmm. That is first reported by the points guy. Why in the world would someone not want to be upgraded from regular economy into Comfort Plus? Well, because sometimes that upgrade meant giving up an aisle or window seat and landing in a middle seat. And to be clear, we're talking here not about the true premium economy section on Delta long haul flights. This is the extra legroom section, uh, typically on short haul flights. Delta calls it Comfort Plus. It's similar to what United calls Economy Plus, American calls Main Cabin Extra, or Delta's partner KLM calls Economy Comfort, for example. But Delta does it a little differently. So, Ben, I want to unpack this a little bit. So, first of all, one thing that's different is that Delta sells it a- a- as a separate cabin. This is not just a seat selection. This this is a separate cabin, the same way that you would buy first class or, or business class. On so, the a different fare if to buy that seat, not just a different seat assignment, you mean? John. Exactly. And, and so so that's sort of where the issue starts because and, and I say that because if if you know if someone's thinking, well, you know, what's American gonna do about this? What's United gonna do about this? What's I mentioned KLM gonna do about this? They don't have this issue because with those airlines, you either when you book, you either select those seats, those extra legroom seats. And you pay something extra, or maybe you're at a certain tier in the in the, in the frequent flyer program, Elite, where you get it for free. But you're picking your seat. Uh, so if 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 all you see is a middle seat and you don't want it, you just pick a you know window or aisle in in the regular economy section. Delta, uh, you don't get that opportunity because it's a separate cabin. So so then later, based on your status in the frequent flyer program, uh, your medallion status, as Delta calls it. You get an upgrade. Now, when you're upgraded into first class, same thing. You might maybe you had a window seat in an economy and then they give you a, an aisle seat in first class uh, on, a, on a short haul flight. But nobody's going to turn that down. I mean, everybody wants that that upgrade. Right. But here it's a little different. And actually, I, and I can't blame Delta for this, but I kind of experienced buyer's remorse once from this. I remember, uh, this is an extreme example, I was flying 
Dubai, Atlanta on Delta, which is, I believe, the longest flight in their system. And this was before they made it a separate cabin. Uh, back when they called it, I think, Economy Comfort. And I was, you know, gold or something in their frequent, frequent flyer program where I was eligible to just pick a seat when I booked it back then. Because like American United, KLM, it was just the seat selection that if you had a certain status, you could get it. So I had a, uh, I could have taken like a window seat or an aisle seat in regular economy, but I saw there was just a middle available in that extra legroom section. And I grabbed it because I thought, well, who wouldn't want economy comfort? And then I realized after, as I, as I settled into that seat in between two other people for that, you know, what, what is that, a 13, 14 hour flight? <laughs> what did I do? You know, what, what, for, because uh, I'm not, and a part of it is, you know, I'm not that tall. I'm average height, right? If I were six foot four, I would say, no, give me the leg room and I'll deal with the lack of elbow room with people bumping into me, right? Well, uh, everybody remembers Hermie. That's right. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, but, but that's, that's not my situation. So, so now in that case, that was, you know, clearly my choice. But here we have, uh, you know, people being upgraded just automatically into middle seats is what was happening. And uh, Ben, how would you feel about about that? And, and, and I, I know you fly Delta a, a fair amount. Did you ever have that experience? Uh, what do you think about this new policy? I have not personally had this experience, but I'm just fascinated by this problem because the fact that it's a problem that an upgrade could cause, right? It shows just how complicated this silly business can be when you try to segment almost too much. Now, Seth, I've never been a fan of do it because the competitor does it. I think that dilutes your brand. That doesn't let you say what you stand for or anything like that. If you just only copy. On the other hand, if you do something different than everyone else, Make sure you understand all the implications of that and what it can mean for the customers. Because I bet Delta is bothered by the fact that they've had to change a policy to not create an upgrade if it would only go into a middle seat. I can understand why people wouldn't want the upgrade because Comfort Plus isn't that much nicer than regular economy. Now, maybe if you're I like you, I'm short. Maybe if you're 6'3 and... Uh, and especially long-legged or something, maybe it is a big, big difference and that middle seat might be worth it compared to being squeezed in. And especially if you were in a middle seat in the economy, you'd rather be in a middle seat in Comfort Plus, right? Sure. But if you like sitting by the window or if you're like me and you like sitting next to the aisle, I, I can see why people wouldn't want that upgrade. And so having the ability to say, only upgrade me if I can keep my same seat, meaning if I'm in an aisle, if you can upgrade me to an aisle, great. If you can't, don't upgrade me. I can see creating that ability, but think of what Delta has to do then. Now they got to change their technology. The customers got to understand why do I have to make the selection out? Oh yeah, that's why. It's just so complicating. It's kind of amazing to me that the industry could get to the point where just in trying to do a good thing, segment passengers, create upsell opportunities, all the reasons airlines have separate cabins could create an issue like this. I honestly wouldn't have expected an issue like this would come up, but it has, and I understand why it has. And it actually sounds to me like Delta's doing the right thing by saying we're not going to automatically do it anymore. Yeah, when they started selling it as a separate cabin, their position was, look, we've differentiated enough. 
you know, they give out free alcoholic beverages, for example, even on short haul flights in that section, uh, which they consider a separate cabin. And so they felt, look, we've created enough value that we're going to sell it that way. But you're right. Um, when it's just a different product, and we talked about this in past episodes and in a different context, you know, basic economy. What is that, right? And, and when when one airline, you know, when United doesn't allow uh, carry on bags and the others do, and just the confusion that goes along that. Uh, and, and I checked it out, and yeah, Delta, it's it's just in there that you uh, can now indicate not only you know, give me the upgrade or not, if it's available, which you could always do. And again, I I can't imagine many people didn't automatically want it, but now just give me the upgrade uh, when it's the upgrade that I want (laughs) into a, uh, into, into a comfortable seat. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how this goes. I mean, I can't imagine anybody is going to object to this. And I think this is one of those things where people who are doing it are, are, you know, are used to Delta's system, right? These are, Delta by definition, if they're getting upgraded, they're del- Delta frequent flyers. So maybe less confusion here than with the basic economy situation. But still, there are people who have status with multiple airlines. Another thing that's, that has been different about Delta, by the way, they have had this product only where they don't have true premium economy. So I think that's also one reason why they can sell it as a separate cabin. Uh, American has long had their main cabin extra, that's their extra legroom seat, on the same long-haul aircraft where they have their premium economy, for example, right? So you've got economy, which they call main cabin, then main cabin extra, then premium economy, whatever they call it. I'm confusing myself now. And then uh, business class, and in some cases, first class. So they have you know five sort of cabins on one flight, except that main cabin extra isn't sold as a separate cabin. Delta has generally had it where economy comfort is the the nicer product, but not as nice as first class on a short haul flight. And then on long haul flights, it's uh, what Delta calls premium select. Uh, so, so that's another thing that distinguishes Delta in that regard. And that probably confuses some customers. <laughs> well, it kind of confuses me too. And uh, <laughs> and I'm supposed to know what this is all about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I realized as I started saying, once I started going that, down that path, I said, wait a second, I better be right about this. <laughs> so yeah. Well, Ben, as you know, we've been getting so many great listener questions that we want to try to get to two of them in this episode. Let's start with Laura down in Clearwater, Florida, a place where I think everybody would like to be this time of year. Laura. Hi, my name is Laura from Clearwater, Florida. Can you tell me why people still call Southwest a low-cost airline? Thank you. First of all, I I actually am going to be in Clearwater uh, late next month. Our our daughter is crazy about the story. I don't know if you know it, Ben, but uh, Winter the Dolphin at the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. It's this dolphin that was rescued. Uh, She lost her tail they developed a prosthetic tail yeah there's a whole movie about it and everything so anyway so we're so we're gonna uh so we're flying down to tampa and yeah sure enough come to think of it uh southwest would have been an option to fly from 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 dc to tampa but we are flying spirit in one direction from bwi and we are returning on united in basic economy actually it was just way cheaper back to dulles so to so to laura's point uh why do people call southwest a low-cost airline first i guess ben we should define and it might seem obvious but we should define what is a low-cost airline i'm emphasizing that 
point on purpose because I think uh, I think there might be an important distinction here. Yes, well, airlines within inside the airline think about costs as what it costs you to produce the product, whereas customers and think that customers buy prices, right? And they sell prices, not costs. From a consumer standpoint, the cost to your trip is the price you pay, right? So, So I can see why that the terminology has merged where people sort of um, blend the idea of low cost airline means I get a low price on that airline. But those are clearly not the same thing. An airline that produces seats at a low cost can sell lower high fares, just like an airline that spends a lot of money to produce its seats can sell lower high fares. So the question I think Laura really is asking is why can't I get a cheap fare on Southwest anymore when I used it? Yeah. And, and in fact, there are airlines that, that I think have failed to understand the distinction too, right? There are airlines that, that have sold cheap tickets but didn't manage to be efficient enough to have low costs. And those are airlines that get themselves into trouble, right? So, so well, and many uh, of them are those who are out of business too. Now. That's they, right. Exactly, right? So, so, uh, so the idea is, you know, you, you can be a low cost airline. Again, here we're talking not low fares necessarily, uh, but, but, but an efficient airline that produces cheaply and then sell low fares. You could be a higher cost airline and get higher fares. That's okay. You might be a low cost airline with high fares and be very profitable. And that's what we'll get to next, right? Or vice versa. And those are the airlines that are in many cases, no, no longer with us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, um, uh, I've at, at times when I've taught groups about airline economics for people who are unfortunate enough to be taught by somebody like me instead of somebody like you, Ben, they're stuck with, <laughs> stuck with, stuck with me. And I'll, I'll start with that. Well, what is a low cost airline? What does a low, low cost airline look like? Right. And, uh, and people have all kinds of ideas. And these are typically people who know something about the industry. They'll say, well, you know, maybe it has, you know, just one cabin, right? No, no, uh, no premium class of service. Uh, maybe it, it, it doesn't have lounges. Maybe it, you know, people have all these, these attributes that they picture. Right. And I sort of say, well, what about this? A low cost airline is an airline with low costs, right? And people, it sounds like, well, duh. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, for, first of all, as you know, Ben, what, what matters most for really any business is the sort of the competitive set, Right. What are your costs and what are your revenues com- com- compared with people who you compete against, compared with companies who you compete against? Right. Right. Uh, and, and so all of these airlines, I mean, including, uh, you know, l- let's say Spirit or Allegiant or Frontier, are very low cost compared to other North American airlines, but they have far higher costs than Air Asia in, in Southeast Asia, where we're just labor rates are way lower, right? Um, but that doesn't matter to those airlines because they don't compete against their Asia. They compete against Southwest and JetBlue and, and Delta and American and United, right? That, 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 that's, their, that's their competitive set. And on the other hand, there are airlines that are full-service airlines that nobody would probably define as a low-cost airline, but that win with low costs. And I'm thinking about airlines like Turkish Airlines, right? Which has you know premium products and all the rest of it, but gets to compete against against European airlines that generally have much higher costs or an airline like Copa Airlines in Panama, full service product, but you know, flying between Panama City and Miami gets to compete against American, which just has much higher cost because it, it's paying US labor rates rather than Panamanian labor rates, right? That's and so, so the difference. that's right. 
Right. And, and so, and so that's, so that, that's, I think what you're getting to there when you talk about costs, costs aren't the same as fares. Uh, and, and, and a budget airline is, as it's sometimes called around the world is, is what pic- people picture as, as low fare airlines. So let, let's look at the data here, Ben. I, I, I pulled it for Laura and I, you kind of can't argue. And I think anecdotally, we've all had that experience. I mentioned my tip to trip to Tampa where I checked out, I went, made a special trip to Southwest.com and I didn't end up booking them in that case. Now, it helps that I'm not a heavy packer. I'm going for two days. I'm uh, right. If I were checking two bags both ways and my wife and my daughter, we were all checking lots of bags and different calculation, right? But I, I didn't care that bags, quote unquote, fly free, that they were included in that case, right? So I looked up, Ben, uh, what's called the yield. You know what that is, but for for people who don't. So this is the the sense that people pay for each mile that an airline carries them. Right, and I, I looked up Southwest and a bunch of the other U.S. airlines. You know, then its competitive set, and, and sure enough, uh, Southwest for all of 2018. That's the, uh, obviously the most recent year that we have full data. A little over 15 cents per mile, and just for reference, uh, Delta, United, American, all kind of between 16, 17, 18 cents per mile. So just slightly higher. But those airlines all have first class, you know, premium products, all that. Uh, JetBlue, which has a premium product, a little less than 15 cents. If you round, it's sort of about a penny less than Southwest. Uh, Alaska, which sells first class, Southwest doesn't, uh, 14 cents. Spirit, 11 cents a mile. So, so there you are. You know, Southwest significantly more uh, than than some of the other lower cost, l- low cost airlines or lowish cost airlines, including ones that have some kind of a, uh, a premium product there. And, and sort of to, to to explain it maybe in in um, just more concrete terms, let's take a look at a couple of markets here, Ben. I, I looked at fares. I, we talked in a recent episode about Baltimore to Fort Lauderdale, which I flew, right? Where, where I was I volunteered on the Spirit flight, ended up on the Southwest flight. Average gross uh, one-way fare in, in that market, and those are the two nonstop airlines in that market. Southwest, $149 each way. Spirit, $63 each way. Now, so if you're not checking bags, that's a pretty big difference. Right. And, right? and, and even there, there, there are people who, who will say, and I'm sure you heard this all the time when you heard Spirit, people say, well, but by the time you get done paying for all the other stuff on Spirit, uh, you, you, know, you just might as well fly another airline. So when I give you those figures, 149 versus 63, is that true for the average person? Well, I don't think that is true. I mean, if you look at Spirit's reported numbers, they sell around $55 in non-ticket kind of revenue. And that includes not only the bags that people might pay, but what they might eat or drink on board and what they sell through their their subscription-based club. The and seat assignments, like that. all the other stuff. And the seat assignments, things like that. So even with even if you added that full amount, it's still less than the Southwest price. And many people, especially on a two-day trip like you're taking, would not add that whole amount. So my guess is most people in that example that you said would probably save money flying on Spirit versus Southwest, but they might still prefer Southwest. Sure because of the time of the flight or more leg room or a free Coca-Cola and bag of peanuts or something like that, right? Sure, sure. No, absolutely. And, and definitely, depending on what you use, no question, you know, when, when we fly Spirit, uh, I mean, I play the game. I generally, you know, we might check one bag for the three of us, right? Put all the stuff into one bag and, and, and check it, but we don't 
we don't pay for seat assignments and we don't pay for all, all, all the other stuff. I looked up another market here, by the way, just because there's lots of airlines competing in it. I did Chicago to Fort Lauderdale, and I had to include Midway Airport there because that's where Southwest uses, but using both airports. Uh, yeah, so Chicago, Fort Lauderdale, gross one-way fare on average. Uh, United, 184. American, 175. Southwest, 147. So it is less uh, on average than those airlines, but, but again, they have premium you know they have first class cabins uh jet blue 131 so it's less than southwest even though some people would probably consider jet blue a little bit more of a uh, a premium airline with the you know the seat back tv and more legroom all that kind of thing uh and, and spirit in that market 65 dollars now again jet blue you know is going to charge for bags southwest isn't some of those jet blue fares would it, it does sell fares that that do include check bags. So that kind of muddies that a little bit, but anyway, there, yeah, you see Southwest uh, significantly more than the other low cost carriers, both compared to an ultra low cost and just sort of a, a more upmarket low cost and, and a bit less than the other airlines. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 coming back to the original point, look, Southwest is a very profitable airline. And part of the reason is that it is a low cost airline. Uh, it, it, it's cost. Again, here we're talking not fares, we're talking production costs. Uh, you know, not quite as low as as uh, uh, as the ultra low cost carriers, but rather low. And yet, its fares aren't all that low, and that that explains its profitability. It sure does, and it also explains an airline that's uh, fifty years old or more, or, right, right, yeah. or around there now. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't mind saying I'm fifty eight. You're a little younger than me, yeah. Seth. And, Forty four. Uh, yep. <laughs> my body can't do what it did at twenty. <laughs> and uh, in business terms, that's the same thing. In the airline business, as airplanes get older, as people get older, they become more expensive. Airplanes need more maintenance. People need more maintenance, right? And um, and Southwest has a very senior group of employees, good, high productive employees, but senior employees. They've been in business a long time, so they have the structural costs of just legacy. And if you look at what Southwest has done over the last sort of 15 years or so, they're not the same airline that they were in the 1980s and 90s. In the 80s and 90s, they really kept fares down. Some of our listeners may remember that Southwest used to market the fact that the highest fare they sold was $299. They used to actually market that fact that you won't, will never pay more than $299. Right, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That sort of quietly went away. Right? <laughs> and, uh, um, but they used to uh, keep the price down. I remember back in the 1990s. I was running pricing for Continental Airlines, and it just frustrated me that between Houston and Dallas, a market that Continental flew and Southwest flew, the price, I think, was $72 for the walk-up customer, meaning the customer who just, on the day of the flight, said, I want to fly today. It was $72 on Southwest, and we couldn't realistically charge more than that, given where Continental was in the market at that time in Southwest. And I just remember thinking Southwest would make so much more money if they just made it $73. (laughs) Like, why don't they just add a dollar, right? And like every week we would raise the fare to $73 and say, maybe they'll match and they wouldn't match. And even after like, you know, six months of doing it every week, we still kept doing it. Knowing that that nothing's going to, but it just sort of surprised me. But then I started to realize, well, they're not going to raise the fare because what they're doing is they're, they're, 
essentially weaponizing their low costs to say, we're going to drive pricing in the market. We're ultimately going to drive competitors out of the market. And the net effect of all that, now 50 years later or 30 years after the story I just told, is that Southwest has some interesting facts that I bet our users don't know. For example, within the 48 United States, they carry more business intent travel than any other airline. They carry more business as a percentage of the total passengers on their plane than Delta or than American or than United. And that's largely because they tend to be the highest frequency. They tend to be very easy to use. Their flights are pretty short. So if you're going from Chicago to St. Louis, all the advantages of the United or American product, who probably both also fly that market, aren't that much on that very short flight. And Southwest probably has flights almost every hour in a market like that. And no no change fees, no bag fees, right? They're just easy. And that product has been really successful for them. But because the industry is smaller today, and because only four airlines, American, United, Delta, and Southwest collectively carry more than 80% of all the customers in the United States. I mean, if, if somebody just tells you, I just flew in on a domestic flight, there's a better than 80% chance it was on one yeah. of those four carriers. And um, because of that, they have a lot of pricing power in the market, and they're using that to make money for the company, make money for their investors, pay their employees well, invest in good maintenance and good airplanes, and they have high fares everywhere they can Including- have high fares. Houston, Dallas, which you just mentioned before. As you were talking there, Ben, I pulled it up. So what did you say? $72 in in the old days, the cheapest seat you can buy tomorrow in Southwest. Uh, And it's on every one of their hourly flights, $244 each way. And and it's exactly as you said, every hour on the hour, and they wouldn't go six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight (laughs) o'clock from 6am until 10pm, every single hour on the hour. So there it is, the convenience uh, but you, um, but but you pay for it, and and I think another important point, we I, I gave those those uh, comparisons because you know you want to look at apples to apples, uh, those those markets where Southwest competes against other airlines, but but I think the the real point is that there are so many markets where they don't really compete because they have just that monster network, and, and so it, it's not really you know where, where they probably really make their money is not. Chicago to Fort Lauderdale, where they're one of five airlines flying it nonstop, where they probably make their money is, you know, St. Louis, Kansas City, where in that very short haul market, they I'm just looking here, uh, $249 nonstop is the is the cheapest, uh, the cheapest fare I see tomorrow, you know, because they because they don't face a lot of competition. They just have countless markets like that non-stop markets that they I know we don't think of Southwest as a monopolist you know and and, and there are obviously all kinds of very consumer friendly things that they've done all over the years but the reality is that there are a lot of markets in this country that they that they dominate and that's where I'm sure they run up the score uh, profitability wise and then they just compete in others well they do and and that that idea that they are a business carrier flying business customers everywhere they can shows through in other ways too. Again, the 1980s, 1990s Southwest wouldn't be flying to airports like Newark and LaGuardia and uh, places like that, but, and, and Reagan national, but they have purchased reg, you know, restricted slot rights at very high rates. 
I mean, Southwest bought slots from Spirit when Spirit pulled out of Reagan National. And again, the 1980s, 1990s Southwest wouldn't have done that. And in fact, Southwest popularized the idea that you could save money by going to an alternative airport. Right. And and they also so they fly to the air, those airports. They're now going to be flying to Hawaii after buying AirTran. They got some better technology or different technology, I should say. And now they're flying international, which has more expensive um, things to it. So the Southwest today, in terms of the way they run their airline, looks much more like American United Delta. Then it looks yeah, like Spirit they haven't Frontier always been right. I mean, Newark, uh, they, they've they decided to pull out of, but they've obviously been right more often than they've been wrong, which is why they they remain so, so successful. Right. Yeah. Well, Ben, now at Cruise Altitude here on Airlines Confidential, it's time to take another question and a complaint during Fine or Wine next. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or wine is next. But first, time for another question. Now, first, a little context. Uh, we always mention at the beginning that Ben teaches about how airlines work, and that's kind of a broad description of, of what you do, Ben. I mean, some of that, of course, you've did various consulting roles, you know, helping people in the industry at, at times. But sometimes it's literally teaching students uh, at George Mason University, a, a big public university just outside uh, D.C. in Northern Virginia, uh, and and you you bring in the, some people who know all kinds of things about the industry to speak at various points during the course. And then you also bring me in for some reason. <laughs> Once a semester, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm always, I'm always honored uh, to, to uh, speak to the class. Uh, so that said, this question is from Mason of South Riding, Virginia. You'll see why I, I gave all that context. Mason writes, first, I'm really enjoying the podcast. I had listened to Seth's former podcast since before he came and talked to our class at GMU a couple of years ago. Uh, the two of you make it fun to listen it's almost like being in class again. He says, oh, laugh out, you know, LOL, laugh out loud. Um, so I, I guess we'll take that as a compliment, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now for the question, he says, another podcast I listened to, uh, Airplane Geeks, reported from the Dubai Air Show about Emirates, uh, the largest A380 customer to my knowledge. He's right about that. Order of 50 A350-900 aircraft. Do you think this signals the end of the A380 as a viable commercial airliner? Uh, thanks again for bringing your take on the industry to us. Keep up the great work. Look forward to many more episodes. Uh, your answer to Mason, Ben, the end well, of the A380. I guess we partly know the answer, but go ahead. That's right. Well, it's nice to hear from Mason. Mason was a very good student in the class, and it's great to know that he continues to follow the industry by listening to podcasts like this. I hope most people listening to the podcast uh, don't think of it as a class. <laughs> 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 but in some ways, maybe uh, that's a good sense as to what the class is like. It's less like a class and more like this. Yeah, I think hopefully that's the, that's well, the point. I think I think he's right about the end of the 380 as a viable commercial airliner. But I think that decision was made months ago when Airbus made the public announcement that they were going to no longer produce the plane in a couple of years. Yeah. That's what signaled the end of the 380 as a as a force in the wide body airplane business. You know, the Air 380, as you know, Seth, was a was an interesting idea. 
And when it came out, it bucked trends that the industry had. And Airbus's view was in a world of real constrained infrastructure where you can't, you're not going to build any more runways in JFK or Heathrow for a long time. So the way you're going to win in big markets like that is to fly bigger and bigger planes. And their answer to that was the 380. The four engines on the plane, the high fuel costs, ultimately made it not that successful an airplane. No U.S. carrier ever bought the the airplane. And that was a tough thing for Airbus to, you know, they, they tried hard to get a U.S. carrier to buy the airplane and it didn't happen. Emirates has bought more than half of all they've ever sold. So Emirates is the largest customer. And I think those are all reasons that they've said, you know, we made this bet but what people really want is they want frequency and they want long flights. So airplanes like the 787 and the A350 that Airbus is making are what the world really wants. And yeah. so what Emirates has done is they had an order for more 380s, but Airbus said, we don't want to make them. And they said, well, we don't want to buy them either, but we'll buy this other plane that will fly just as far but save us a lot of fuel. Maybe we won't have quite as many seats on them, but you know, we'll put as many premium seats as we do and we'll just have fewer of the cheap seats on these. Yeah. That's what Emirates is going to do. Not everyone yeah. else, everybody else would do that. So I think Mason, you're right. The A380 is done as a growth airplane, but the world is still going to see A380s flown by Emirates and others for another 10 years at least, and maybe longer than that. Because some of the planes flying are new. Airbus is going to deliver a few more in the next couple of years. Maybe some of them will become cargo airplanes. So it's not like you're going to stop seeing that airplane, you know, immediately. It's going to be around for a while, but it's been displaced by smaller, more efficient two engine airplanes. No question. And then for anybody who actually does want a plane with lots of seats, the twin engine planes that are out there can get close. You know, Emirates has a a, a configuration of of the triple seven dash three hundred LR dash three hundred ER rather that has four hundred twenty seven seats on it. Airbus, uh, according to Flight Global recently, the three fifty dash one thousand that they're producing, they have clearance to put up to four hundred eighty seats on that. Now, most airlines aren't going to do that, but the point is that if for for the few airlines that want that many seats on a plane, those are twin engine planes. Half the engines, uh, you know, so yeah. much less fuel, less maintenance that can carry not quite as many, but nearly as many seats uh, as as the A three eighty. So I think uh, it's mostly what you said. Just nobody wants that many seats on a plane in general, as airlines go. Plus, if you do, there's a lower risk way to do it. Uh, you know, and, Seth, and- um, I've got experience with that quote unquote high density Emirates plane too. And uh, last, this past March, my family and I went to Vietnam and we flew on Emirates from Dulles to Dubai and then into Vietnam. And the flight from Dulles to Dubai was on one of these 380s and we sat in business class and it was a very nice product as Emirates offers. And then from Dubai to Vietnam was one of these high density triple sevens. And my son who was 12 at the time and says, I thought we were flying on Emirates. What's this? This is like an RJ. 
<laughs> because when you come up yeah, in eight, suddenly one of the uh, one of the largest planes in the world suddenly <laughs> suddenly suddenly feels small. That's great. Yeah, I know it was um, really funny to me. I just I couldn't stop laughing when he said that. It's like you're on a triple seven and you're complaining. And suddenly it feels <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, no. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429. Record a question anytime during the week. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com. It's questions, plural, at airlinesplural.confidential.com. Or you could jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there. Again, it's airlinesplural.confidential.com, airlinesconfidential, all one word, dot com. And let us know what you're thinking. Uh, well, Beginning our initial descent now on today's show, it's time for fine or whine. We always listen to an actual customer complaint that we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, uh, you have a complaint. Yes, Seth. This one is from Clyde of Pearl City, Hawaii. Another place everyone might like to be right about now. Um, Clyde yeah, says, for sure. we fly with Hawaiian Airlines at least twice a year. Not surprising if you're flying from Hawaii. We always upgrade to extra comfort. And we get the same food as in coach, a sandwich. And we just went on Omni Air and took the first class. And we noticed the premier class, which is similar to extra comfort, has about about the same type of food as first class, but a smaller serving size. And in your recent commercials, your complimentary meals is actually your first class meals, not for extra comfort of the main cabin. You get a sandwich. And when I want when I just went to your website, you only show first class meals on your menu. What about the main cabin? I think you're false advertising. Okay, now, so you're a lot not confused, going, I'm confused. A lot, a lot going on there. Let's make a few assumptions here. It sounds as though uh, Hawaiian might have used Omni Air as what's sometimes called ACMI. Don't worry about the acronym, also called wet leasing, where an airline hires another airline. They're not just leasing the planes and then flying it and doing their own thing with it. They, they just hire the other airline to operate everything. The pilots, the flight attendants, all the rest of it. And and, and the and wet the, leasing specifically refers to the fact that the Omni Air buys the fuel too. And, right, right. And so it's all- pays just, them for that. Right. So they all just would, would they're just, they're just, hiring another airline to operate the flights. And a lot of airlines do this at, at times, just for whatever reason, they find themselves short of their own planes and people. Uh, and, and, and so uh, sometimes European airlines in the summer, when there's so much more demand, they'll, they'll do this. But assuming that's the case here, which I think it is, uh, th- this is just a customer who suddenly found themselves on basically a different airline. Uh, the, uh, what do you think? Are, is, is that fine? Or are they whining about, about just all these all these differences you know it's funny um earlier we spoke about sort of the on the earlier last week's podcast i mean we spoke about sort of the most dangerous thing on the flight being the food and client client's <laughs> complaint is about i didn't get the food that i wanted and so and also <laughs> earlier in this podcast we talked about all of the the complication of having these different cabins and what they mean now what hawaiian's done is they've taken this one further and said now I've got to try to standardize my product when I hire another company to fly their airplane, which maybe is flying for Hawaiian on that flight, but flies for other airlines on other flights. So the likelihood that its cabin configuration is the same as Hawaiian would be just complete coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would go with Clyde on this one, is that Hawaiian Airlines 
has a certain product standard that Clyde understood and knew what it meant. And when he bought a ticket, he bought it on Hawaiian. He didn't buy it on Omni. But when Hawaiian outsourced that particular flight to Omni, he didn't get what he wanted. And one of the things about outsourcing anything in any business is you can outsource production, but you can't outsource responsibility. And Hawaiian's responsibility in my mind was to to communicate with Clyde and manage his expectation toward a product he was expecting. And it seems like they had done that, but he didn't get that on Omni. So I would say that it was Hawaiian's decision to let Omni fly the flight, which they may have had to, but maybe didn't do enough to make sure that the customers who would have sat in a certain place on the Hawaiian plane were getting the same treatment as they would on Omni. They probably could have done a better job of that. They wouldn't have upset Clyde in this case. And it was the airline Hawaiian that decided to put him on a different airplane than Clyde bought. So I would go with the airline on this one, Seth. What do you think? With the consumer. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I think most people are, look, there, there are people who are just philosophically against outsourcing for, for, for other reasons. Uh, labor relations and, and and so forth concern for 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 workers all those kinds of things but i think i think most people what they really care about is look i hired you to do something for me and and it's got to be done and and it's your business how you do it but in the end you, you have to give me what i what i paid for and and uh, by that minimal standard at least yeah i i would agree here again we're making some assumptions here uh, it's it's the Sometimes here, you know, the, the the point I think is is just to have the philosophical discussion. Uh, if, if we're if we're assuming wrong about any of the details, that's that's a different story. But this is something that does go on, uh, and and it can be, uh, you know, instead of Hawaiian with Omni Air, it can be you know Swiss International with Private Air, or you know just various uh, wet leasing situations around the world. But but that is what customers care about. In the end, I don't really care who delivers the product as a customer, probably, uh, but I care that the product is uh, what, what, what I was promised. That's so, right. And lest, lest someone quickly say, well, you know, Hawaiian should never outsource a flight to Omni Air and nobody should or something like that. Before saying that, though, recognize that it's very possible that Hawaiian used that option rather than just cancel a set of flights. Maybe they had a plane, for example, that was supposed to return from maintenance on a certain date, but they found problems with that airplane that was going to keep it in maintenance another week or two. And that plane was scheduled to fly some routes that they didn't have another plane to pull up. So they hire Omni for that week or week or two to fly that plane. So many customers, I'm sure, got service and got to where they were going because they hired that plane. There may have been um, some missteps in terms of the product alignment when that happened, but I don't think that you could look at this example and say this is a good reason not to outsource once right, in a while. Right? Yeah, it, it might have been the least bad option, and it, and 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 in fact, the the alternative might have been might have been far worse. Might have been not not getting to where you're going as as opposed to just food or or, or lack thereof. Yeah, uh, that that wasn't what you expected. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, uh, here we are in final approach. Uh, that does it for airlines confidential this week. Uh, please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbelts, uh, seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429 or email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com. Jump on the airlinesconfidential.com 
website uh, from the airlines confidential studios i'm seth kaplan hey have a great holiday merry christmas happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa whatever you celebrate enjoy it and and, and make it a a safe happy and great uh 2020 have a safe and happy holiday everyone and Thank you to everyone who submitted questions, either by email or calls, and we hope that they uh, come in droves in 2020. (laughs) I'm Ben Balbanza. We'll talk to you soon. Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. Massmedia.net. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at airlinesconfidential.com.